Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children 18 plus, you are tuned into the Loan Officer Podcast with me, Dustin Owen, and my main man, JC, John Coleman. Damn, a lot of energy in that. Yeah. Delivery this hey, morning. Deal. Happy Man. motherfucking birthday, JC. Thank you for yes. getting this cuss word out so early so I can just bleep it out and I don't have to It's your more. birthday. It is. Hey, talk about being dedicated to oh, the yeah. cause. Oh, yeah. You love our audience so much that you didn't take your birthday off. You came in today. Thank you. you got the office studio all set up, mm-hmm. and we're going to bang out a show. Yeah, I'm excited. All right. It's your birthday. It's it your is. call. Yeah. What should we make today's topic all about well given that you know we uh get a lot of comments on youtube and a lot of people are excited about the content uh one theme that i'm seeing is like hey i'm new to the industry Uh, i just got my license what do i do now bright and bushy-eyed so i thought we could do an episode on loan officer training loan officer training for all the noobs out there how about this as well as the managers yeah Right, there's nothing wrong. Who are who are out and they're they're um, looking for the next crop of talent. Yep. And maybe you want to use some of the content from these shows to further onboard and acclimate mm-hmm. your newest round of talent to what we do for a living. Well said. Okay, so we'll do loan officer training. Okay. That's pretty easy. Yeah. Um. So let's start with this. Yeah. On loan officer training, this is not going to be a course on how to pass your NMLS test. Okay. All right. I I can't do it for one. Like full disclosure, I work for a bank owned mortgage company. I have worked for this same bank owned mortgage company for the past, I think 13 years. Like since before you needed an NMLS (laughs) number, I worked at Waterstone Mortgage. Okay. When you work for a bank or you work for a bank owned mortgage company, you do not have to have your state license in most states. I operate out of the state of Florida, so I don't need my state license. Now, any of my compliance or my course training, stuff that would mirror what I would take through the uh, NMLS, Waterstone makes sure that I have access to those trainings and I take courses and I pass tests on an annual basis. Okay. Same thing goes for loan officers that work at places like Truist or Bank of America or Chase or you name one of the thousands of banks out there. Makes sense. Also, that being said, let's say I worked for a non-bank lender and I had to have my state license. Mm -hmm. I promise you this. I would have taken it almost a decade ago once, passed it, and anything that I could share with you would be irrelevant. Mm. So this show is not going to be on that. Okay. I'll make you one more promise. Okay. I'm going to seek an expert who trains people to pass the test, I'm going to have them on the show. Nice. Right? We are going to do that, you and I. Okay. Because I'm going to need your help. Oh, yeah. yeah. I may find them. I may need you to reach out to them and schedule them. Sure. But we will do that. Okay. But this show is going to be, so you passed your NMLS test, now what? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say, so you passed your NMLS, big Mm whoop-dee-doo. Right? So I have teenagers in the house, Mm -hmm. and my oldest is uh, this close if you're looking, if you're listening, you can't see my fingers, but he's like weeks away okay. from obtaining his driver's license. Like the real deal. The real one. Not the, the per- real one. The real one. Yeah, but like I was thinking about him and his process of learning how to drive and loan officers obtaining their NMLS and passing their, their exams. Uh-huh. And how 11 months ago when my son passed his learner's permit, that uh-huh. was a written exam. Yeah. Okay. He didn't know shit about driving a car. Very true. But someone gave him a license, right? Took his picture and everything. Yeah. Okay. That's this industry, right? So 
loan officers need to understand just because you passed your license, you're no better than a 15 year old learning how to drive. Well said. Okay. So that's, I think a great correlation. We will talk about things like LTV and DTI today. We will talk about FHA, VA, USDA, conventional, Fannie, Freddie, LPA, DU. We'll talk about where to find training to learn those programs and those products. I'll also dip into how to talk to the consumer mm. because there's a big difference between being eligible and qualifying. There's a big difference between um, qualifying and being comfortable with what you qualify for. Hmm. And I think any loan officer, when you're getting started, you have to understand that. But while we're talking about understanding, you have to understand that this is a process, right? You're newer to the industry. Maybe you're transitioning out of insurance and into becoming a mortgage loan originator. Yep. Maybe you're transitioning from auto sales into, into home finance. Yeah. Maybe you're transitioning from a realtor into a loan officer, right? There's many ways to be in the field, but not be in the field, mm -hmm. right? We had a gentleman reach out to us via uh, you, uh, YouTube, right? Yeah, yeah. And he is leaving the title industry, the escrow industry, becoming a mortgage loan originator. Yeah. So he's been in the industry for the past year, but he's getting ready to make his transition. Hmm. So this show is for all of those people plus all of the people who hire all of those people. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and we're going to dip into it. But like when we talk about understanding, I want people to also think about if you were to have a degree in accounting, mm -hmm. what would it take to become a CPA? When would you become a controller? When could you become a CFO? Uh, right. What does that look like in terms of a time frame? in terms of continuing education, yeah, continuing, yeah. um, how about, a, how about a doctor, right? Like think about a doctor. A doctor, A, they're smart and they're driven, mm -hmm. but they go and they obtain their four-year degree. That allows them to apply for medical school, that and taking the MCAT and doing well on it. Yep. Then they go to medical school for three years and they still don't know what the hell they're doing, right? They have a four-year <laughs> degree plus a three-year doc doctor yeah. degree. They still have to do, at a minimum, a three-year residency. So loan officers, I think it's a very important for you to understand before we truly get started on today's episode and get start getting your hands dirty, understand this. Until you've closed 20 loans, you don't deserve the name tag of loan officer. Obviously, you have it, but you really don't deserve it. Until you have closed 50 loans, you really don't know what you're doing. Until you've closed 100, you're not good. And until you've closed 200, you're not great. At 200, you will be a true professional and expert in the field of mortgage loan origination. Hmm. 100 makes you good. 50 says you kind of have an idea what you're doing, and 20 lets you wear the name badge. So in essence, in a way, it's a race to 20. Then it's a race to 50, yeah. a race to 100, and a race yeah. to 200. Yeah. Right? It's like how long is it going to take you to get to 200? The quicker you do it, the more painful it will be. I promise you that. Meaning, if it takes you five years to get to 200 transactions. By the way, there's nothing wrong with that. I would say that's probably ideal or average. Okay. Okay. You made a good living while you got better. You made a decent living while you honed your craft. But it took you five years to get there. The person who can get to 200 in two years, they made a ton of money. Mm -hmm. They're really good. They're, they're expert level after two years and not five. But man, do they have some pain getting there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the difference of, do you want to sprint a marathon? Do you want to walk a marathon? Yeah, or do you want to jog it at yeah. nine minute miles? Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. that's kind of the thought process. But think of, you know, you're embarking on this new career. 
think about what doctors have to go through. Think about what what CPAs have to go through. They start with their accounting degree. Then they go work for two years. Then they study their butt off to, to yeah. obtain their CPA, to pass the test, et cetera. Doctors, they get a four-year degree. Then they study their butt off for the MCAT. They get accepted to medical school. They go to medical school, medical school for three years just to have to go work at a hospital or a doctor's office for three years uh. at like 20 bucks an hour. Yeah. Um, they, they have doctor next to their name, but they still don't know what they're doing. You obtained your license. You don't know what you're doing. Let's spend the next two to five years becoming really good. Hmm. And I think if you go in there with that mindset, it'll become less frustrating. Yeah. So we start with mindset. Okay. Your mindset needs to be you set your proper expectations with yourself. And know that you will learn how to do this business with the, more, the most at-bats. So at some point, you have to get really good mm-hmm. at going out and finding people who want a home loan so you can talk to them and help them. Yeah. The more times you do that on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, the better you will get because the more situations you'll have thrown your way yeah. that you'll have to stop and research. Now, you may choose to go work in an environment where the at-bats are given to you. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a great way to learn this business. You may find that you love it so much you make a career out of it. Okay. You may choose that you don't need that type of place, that you're going to put your money where your mouth is, and you're going to work somewhere where you go out and make it rain. You go out and find the people who need to be helped, and then you help them. Whatever the case may be, just know the more at-bats you have the earlier on, the better you'll become at this industry. Well said. Okay, so that's enough of, like, maybe laying the foundation and Mm -hmm. and, 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 um, laying some groundwork. For sure. Let's start. Where can you get training? Because you need to become a great technician. And that's what this show is going to be, technician. I can have people on, on, on how to become better salespeople, how to become better self-promoters and marketers. But this is loan officer training. What is loan to value? What is DTI? We'll start there. How do I learn this stuff? Like, how do I learn how to actually structure and originate a loan? Well, you can go out and spend some money, invest in yourself, and go to a company like Zenix. X-I-N-N-I-X. Yeah, I hear you drop them a lot. Yeah, love it. Love, love, love. I should have like a lifetime membership. I know. No, because here at Waterstone, we send a lot of our newer professionals, if not all of them, through some form of Zenix training. They have ground school and they have flight school. school, Now, they also offer a whole smorgasbord of training. Um, They they have continuing education. They have um, other things. Mm-hmm. We utilize them heavily for their ground school. Gotcha. Because ground school lays the foundation. And we'll talk about some of the things that, that you learn while you're in ground school on today's show. If you don't want to spend the money, because it's about $1,500, right, just for ground school. Okay. It's about a, it's a self-paced, but I, I would guess about a six to eight week course just doing ground school. Flight school is basically like level two. Okay. Flight school gets into a little bit of um, deal structuring. So if you don't work in an environment where you have a very solid leadership team or mentors around you that can help you deal structure, I would highly suggest you go all in and do ground school and flight school. Okay. It would probably cost you around three grand. But look, this is three grand for the rest of your life. That's what I'm saying. This is three grand to become great. But if you don't want to do that, um, check out the MBA, the Mortgage Bankers Association, MBA.org. Check out what, what they have in terms of educational series. Because the MBA has courses that can teach you some mortgage basics. Hmm. Um, if you're a mortgage broker, reach out to your account executives. Your account executives, regardless of, of who they work for, mm-hmm. right? If they work for United Wholesale, they work for Rocket Pro or 
Uh, they work for Flagstar, one of the you know many wholesalers out there. I'm pretty sure that they have training for you because they are invested in your success. Right, yeah. They want you to become successful, so you broker loans to them. Right. Um, if you're not a broker, look at your MI reps, your mortgage insurance companies, whether it's Radian, MGIC, Arch, Ascent, Genworth, National. Like, reach out to your mortgage insurance rep. If you don't know who your rep is, there you go. Start that, there. Start, start there. there. Yeah. yeah, start there. Yeah. Like, that'll give you, I mean, check with your manager. Like, your manager should know who your rep is. <laughs> yeah. But the mortgage insurance companies, they offer training as well. Hmm. Right? So there's enough training out there. This show yeah, is, offers training. I was waiting for you. For yeah. free. <laughs> I was waiting for um, you. <laughs> yeah, we didn't do that early on. But literally, if you're tuned in for the first time, subscribe. Yeah. Subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe on Spotify. Subscribe on iTunes, Apple. Um, hit us up on link on, oh, hit me up on LinkedIn. Actually, we're on LinkedIn, the loan officer podcast on LinkedIn, Dustin Owen. I'm on LinkedIn. John Coleman's on LinkedIn. Um, but we're also on Instagram. We're also on Facebook. Yeah. So, you know, definitely that's, that is a way to find products. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Ways to find us, way to find training. Training. All right. So now we're just going to go ahead and let's just train. Okay. We're going to start very basic. Please do. Okay. Because do you find like a lot of loan officers when they come in, like, hey, I got my license and they look to like jump all these steps that you just laid out and like, hey, I just need to find someone that has a loan, start talking to them. Well, I found that through this podcast, Mm. right? Because when you and I started the podcast a year ago, we had an idea of what we wanted to do, but we didn't really find our path and we still don't know it. We're finding it and it's getting a little bit more, more clear cut. So I'm finding that people are reaching out to us saying, I got my license, but now what? Yeah. And occasionally I'll interview people and they'll, they'll reach out to us. Mm-hmm. Maybe they, they reply to a job ad or they were, they were uh, uh, referred by one of our uh, current associates. Like, uh-huh. like, oh, I have my license. I'm like, yeah, so? <laughs> and then I have to like break the bad news to them. Like, okay, that means nothing. And then oh, I realize that they know very little and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, look, full disclosure, when I interviewed to enter the mortgage industry, I interviewed with a gentleman by the name of Steve Walsh. Shout out to Steve Walsh. Shout out, Steve. Uh, anyone who is big into college football in the 80s, you know Steve Walsh because he was the quarterback at the University of Miami during, like, the U years. The U. Like, yeah, the okay. U. Okay. Um, and I remember sitting in front of Steve, and I had to ask him, so is my job to go out and market to mortgage brokers? And he's like, no, not really. <laughs> like, I had no idea. Yeah, I knew I liked finance, and I knew I liked sales. But I didn't have a clue on what I was actually interviewing to do. Steve had to tell me in my interview what it was. Now, the benefit I had is I worked for this company by the name of HomeBank. And HomeBank sent me to this nine-week training program. Okay. You know what they trained me Uh, on? I do not. Everything you learn in Zenix. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's how I was introduced to Zenix. Okay. It was because the lady who founded Zenix, shout out to Casey, worked at HomeBank as a loan originator. Gotcha. She helped them build their program. And then at some point she left and decided, you know what? I can do this on my own. I can do it better and probably make more money. So Xenix wasn't always around like forever. It's re- no, relatively. No, it's, it's yeah, it's, relatively. it's twenty years old probably. Wow. Yeah, less than twenty years old. Okay. Yep. Cool. So nonetheless, here's what you're gonna learn when you're early on. If you're brand new, do you know loan to value? LTV. LTV, yes. Right? Loan to value. You start with your purchase price. And then how much, I'm sorry, purchase price or appraised value, okay. because loan to value is always going to be derived off the lower of the two. Hmm. 
right? So if you're buying a home for 100000 but it only appraises for 95000 we're going to run the loan to value off the lower of the two, which would be how much? $95,000. $95,000. If you're buying a home for 100000 I know everyone listening is like, where in the hell can you find a home for 100000 <laughs> Now, you know what? Shout out to my friends in Youngstown, Ohio, because they can still find homes for 100000 Okay. Cleveland, et cetera. Yeah. But no, for most of us in the U.S., we're like, but just bear with me. Yeah. Um, if you're buying a home and the sales price is 100000 and the home appraises for 110000 mm-hmm. What do you think we're going to derive the loan the loan to value off of? What number? Hundred thousand. Yeah, the lower of the two. Yeah. So loan to value is always derived off the lower of the two appraised value or purchase price or gotcha. sales price. That makes sense. All right, DTI debt to income ratio. Mm. Did you know, John Coleman, video producer extraordinaire? Yes. That there are two types of debt-to-income ratios that we look at when we are qualifying someone for a home loan. No, I didn't. I thought there was just one debt-to-income. How many now? What? Yep. There's what we call a front-end ratio and a back-end ratio. Please do explain. So a front-end ratio is really simple. Okay. What is your total monthly payment, your mortgage payment? Mm -hmm. And and when we talk about monthly payment, we use the term P-I-T-I or PITI. Principal, interest, taxes, insurance. And then I say plus HOA. Okay. Okay. So what is your total monthly payment divided by your gross monthly income? Okay. That's what you call your front end ratio. Okay. I can I can follow that. Yeah. Like, and when you're listening to the likes of, I don't know, Clark Howard or Dave Ramsey, and they talk about, oh, you need to make sure that you're budgeting 25% or less of your monthly payment to go towards, of, of your monthly income to go towards your mortgage payment, they're basically talking about your front end ratio. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So that's your front end. Okay. Your back end ratio Mm. is that monthly payment plus all of your current debts, things like alimony or child support, things like student loans, minimum payments on credit cards. Oh, okay. Um, uh, auto loans. Yeah. Bills and stuff. Yeah. But not cell phone bills. You don't, ah, you don't okay. factor in cell phone bill. You don't factor in utilities. Okay. Yeah, you don't factor in anything you put towards an IRA or a 401k. Ah. You don't factor in groceries. Is there a reason for that? Just because that's the way it is. Just because <laughs> that's the, the way, way it okay, is. Okay. Like, I'm sure there is okay. a reason, but the mathematicians that were putting all this together, Fair whether enough. it was 30 years ago or 70 years ago, they, they just figured that there are certain um, standards. Okay. That were going to be the same regardless if you rented or, or owned, maybe. Okay. But yeah, so your back-end ratio is a lot of times what you hear us in the industry talk about when we're qualifying someone. It seems like that would be like more of the real number because that's like, you know. It is. It is to a certain extent, but you'll find, and this is a um, like, hey, heads up, boys and girls, maybe take a note here. Yeah. You will find if you just try to spitball based on someone's back-end ratio that if you're like, oh, well, on such and such a client, I was able to get them approved at a 45% debt to income ratio and you're qualifying someone new and they're at a 45% debt to income ratio and you, and you can't get automated underwriting to approve them. Mm-hmm. What you'll realize is that, th- that maybe person A had a front end ratio of 25% mm-hmm. and a back end ratio of 45, meaning front end ratio, like we just taught, is total monthly payment divided by gross income, that was only 25%. Yeah. 
back-end ratio was maybe 45%, maybe it was 50%, mm -hmm. right? So we took their total monthly payment plus their student loans, their credit cards, and their auto payment, and that was, let's say, 50%. Okay. And you got them approved. You ran them through either DU or LPA. Those are two of the most common automated underwriting software that we are able to use. Okay. They're provided us by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. So now you're in your mind, your memory tells you, oh, well, I got a 50% DTI approved because maybe you're just focused on back-end ratio. That was for client A. Client B comes a week later, a day later, three yeah. hours later. Yeah. And you're like, oh, well, I'm sure you'll be good, Mr. Coleman, because I see your, your back-end ratio is a 49 and I just got a 50 done. Hmm. But here's what you don't realize. Borrower B, Mr. Coleman, he has no credit cards. He has no student loans. Mm. He has no car payment. His front-end ratio is also a 49. Mm. System doesn't like that. Because what John Coleman could do now is obtain a home loan where almost half of his gross monthly income is going towards his housing payment. What if he goes out and gets some student loans and some credit card debt and a car payment? Mm. Now, all of a sudden... This dude's broke as a joke, can't pay his bills, and you know he's he he is in the red, personally. So you have to know the difference between a front end ratio and a back end ratio when you're talking about DTI. Also, DTI very important. You're the debt to income ratio. This is how people qualify. Yes, I know credit score goes into play. Yes, I know credit history goes into play. Yes, I know loan to value goes into play. Yes, I know reserve assets go into play. Yep. But at the end of the day, if you had a million dollars in the bank, an 800 credit score and no job, you're not getting a home loan. That is, I, you're that, not getting a home loan. I always thought like just before I was introduced to the industry and know it like I do now, just still relatively new, I was like, oh yeah, if you had two $2 million in the bank and I have no debt and like you said, I could buy anything. Now look, if you want me to geek out on you, there are loan programs called asset depletion loan programs and depending on where that $2 million was, mm. yes, there is a chance that we could take your assets, divide them by 36 months, 120 months, or 360 months, depending on the loan program, Okay. derive an income, and now with the income that we derived mm -hmm. from there, we could qualify. Just jumping through hoops. Yeah, I mean, it's, and and that's getting like level, you know, four We're trying to talk like one <laughs> cool, right cool. now. Um, but yeah, it's very important for a younger loan originator to understand that debt to income ratio. That's the jam. You you have to have a good DTI. You know, and and what is good? Well, that's interesting because when you take courses, whether they're through MBA or whether they're through Xenix, they will teach you well. You know, Fannie Mae has a back-end ratio of 36, or FHA is, is X, and this mm -hmm, one is 41%. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then you get into the field, and you're like, wait a minute. That's what they say if I'm manually underwriting this file, but we don't manually underwrite files mostly. Mostly we use computers. We use computer software. We use automated underwriting, also called AUS. And two of the most popular AUS formats are desktop underwriter, DU, which is provided us by Fannie Mae, or LPA, which is provided us to, uh, to us by Freddie Mac. And then when you run DU or LPA, or if you're in the broker world, you're running DO, um, that's a version of DU, um, just know that the computer can read your entire profile and possibly give you waivers, exceptions. Mm. Those waivers and exceptions would be, yes, I know that 
if this was a manually underwritten loan, the maximum DTI is 36%. But because of your borrower's profile, hmm. we're allowing them to go to a 45 or a 49 or a 56.99, depending on the loan product. Yeah, so there's what is allowed if you're manually underwriting a file, and there's also what the computer allows. Really? And with experience, you'll learn as a loan originator, well, there's no way in hell I'll ever get DU or LP to take a conventional loan over a 50% debt-to-income ratio, but I have had success getting an FHA loan hmm. through at a 56.99. Gotcha. Or you'll learn on a VA loan, if you have over 120% residual income, which, ooh, that's a total mind F right there, because currently VA is one of the only mainstream loan products that actually takes what's called residual income into account. Mm -hmm. But if you have over 120% residual income, you could potentially have someone qualify at a 63% debt-to-income ratio. A lot of wrinkles here to understand. A ton of wrinkles. This is where... You remember 10 minutes ago when I kicked off, like, <laughs> until you've done 20, you don't even deserve to, to, to wear the name badge. Like, you have to learn all of this. You have to learn, well, what is a conventional loan? Like, there's people listening right now that don't know what a conventional loan is. But but have have passed a thing in our loan office? Yes. No, what? Yeah. Or, or they, they might not fully understand. Fully like, a conventional loan is a loan in which the loan amount meet the conforming loan limits for your area, right? And the conforming loan limits have been increasing steadily as home prices uh, increase. Okay. And they're currently over 500,000 in most markets. And then in markets like Silicon Valley or New York City, they're probably, you know, seven, 800,000. Mm. But I remember when I got in the business, they were in the 300s. Then they're at like 417 forever. Mm -hmm. Now, um, don't quote me on this. I should know this off the top of my head, but it just changed. We're in a new year, but it's like 536,000, I believe, somewhere in that ballpark. Look okay. it up, Google it. Um, but a conforming loan uh, is also a conventional loan. It's a loan that follows Fannie Mae and or Freddie Mac's loan guidelines, okay. which you can look up. Mm -hmm. um, they can be a 30-year fixed mortgage. It can be a 20-year fixed mortgage. It can be a 15-year fixed mortgage. All would would constitute what's called a, a conforming conventional. Conventional, conventional loan. Okay. Conventional loans can be used to finance investment properties, second homes. A second home is also deemed as a vacation home or a primary residence. Okay. And therefore, one, two, three, and four-unit properties. Okay. So, you know, condos, townhomes, single-family homes, duplexes, triplexes, quadruplex. Okay. Right. And, and it's investment properties, second mm -hmm. homes, vacation homes. Okay. FHA, no investment properties, no second homes. Here's a word to the wise. If it ends in A, it's for a primary home. If it ends in A, it's a government loan, and it's meant to finance primary homes. So FHA is a loan program offered to us. It's known as a first-time homebuyer program, but please know it is not for first-time homebuyers. It is not for first-time homebuyers. It's to buy a primary home, yes. And can you have two FHA loans at the same time? Yes, but. Okay. Yes, but. Okay. Just know normally you don't. Okay. Normally don't because you have to, you have to follow the buts, right? And the buts are... You know, you have X amount of equity in it, and and the other FHA home is X distance away from the new FHA loan. Mm -hmm. 
But a big misconception is that FHA is for first-time homebuyers. No, it's a common loan program for first-time homebuyers. And the reason why is because first-time homebuyers typically don't have a lot of money to put down. FHA only requires 3.5% down. First-time homebuyers a lot of time are newer in their, in, in, in their adult lives. Yeah. And when you're newer in your adult life, you might not have a whole lot of established credit. Correct. Right? So on an FHA loan, they, FHA, mm-hmm. won't be as punitive for average credit the way that a conventional loan would be punitive. Mm. So we lean on FHA because they're more forgiving for people that maybe have credit in the low to mid 600s. Mm. They only require 3.5% down. And they're also a little bit more lenient for people that have um, bruises or blemishes. Maybe you had a bankruptcy just a couple years ago, a foreclosure just a few years ago, a short sale just a couple years ago. Yeah. A conforming loan is going to have stricter requirements for when you're eligible to purchase again versus FHA. Okay. So an FHA loan is only for someone buying a primary home. Gotcha. All right. Uh, VA loan is another A loan. Yeah. On a VA loan, it's for veterans or active military that are eligible. By the way, I'm using that word eligible. I told you I was going to talk about eligibility versus qualifying. Yeah. Who are eligible, it allows them to purchase a home and put 0% down. Really? But it's a primary home. VA ends in A. It's going to be for a primary home. Now, little asterisk, mm-hmm. little note, yeah. little uh, if you want to win LO Jeopardy one night, LO yeah. uh, bonus question at trivia night, you can finance an investment property via FHA, VA, okay. but it's only when you're refinancing. A loan that already on a home is secured, se- yeah. secured by FHA or VA, basically imagine you are a veteran, you bought a home, you lived in it for three years, and then you moved. But when you when you moved, you kept that home as a rental. Ah, uh, okay. So you still have a VA loan on that home. They could refi. You yeah. can refinance it utilizing VA's Earl, which is their streamlined refinance program. Mm. So technically, you can finance an investment property, but not for purchase. Gotcha. Only on a home that originally was purchased as a primary, utilize either FHA or VA. Now you're just refinancing. You're doing what's called a streamlined refinance. Mm. I remember where I was in my career when I learned that. Sounds like either, did you learn that because it was a mistake? or Yeah, 100% mistake. You, you learned everything because they were mistakes. That's why I gave you that I mean, layup. Look, you remember Brian Young that we had yes. on the show last, yes. last week? That's, I mean, uh, Brian's like, look, I am where I am because of all, all the mistakes I made. Yeah. When I say you have to do, it's a race to 20, 50, 100, yeah. 200. It's a race to get out there and make a boatload of mistakes, ladies and gentlemen. That's what you're trying to do. Yeah. But when you're trying to do some, do so in ways that you don't cause people thousands of dollars in, in losing deposits, losing their homes, yeah. right? Burning relationships, burning bridges. Yeah. You, the trick is how, how do you mm-hmm. learn while making small mistakes, yeah. not large catastrophic mistakes? Yeah. And even if you make a large catastrophic mistake, Life goes on. Yeah. Okay. So we're talking about VA when and 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 it's it's 100 financing mm-hmm. and look you can do a VA loan on a million dollar property right now, 100 hmm. percent financing. But nah. Okay. No, I mean VA for active, eligible veterans or retired members of the military yeah. that are eligible. So here's something that that a loan officer needs to know 
because it's a huge misconception with, with the borrower community. Okay. Just because you're an eligible veteran does not mean that you will qualify. You still have to meet the DTI requirements. You still have to meet the, the employment, mm. the income, and the credit requirements. Gotcha. You still have to be able to prove that you have the ability to pay this mortgage every month on time. Gotcha. So a misconception is from our veteran communities, because no one's educated them, well, I'm a veteran. I get a home loan. Like, no, you're a veteran. Thank you for your service. You're eligible for a home loan. You're eligible. Yeah, and not everyone is eligible. Like, there's certain veterans that maybe they were in the reserves and they didn't spend enough time. There's certain uh, veterans that maybe they didn't do their full three mm, years or they never yeah. saw um, active duty or they were never deployed during wartime. I mean, yeah. there's, there are requirements for being yeah. a, a, a qualified veteran. So what you end up doing as a loan originator is, is you end up um, – uh, helping the veteran obtain their certificate of eligibility, their COE. Hmm. Most lenders, if you just have a little bit of, of information from your borrower name and social, and maybe an authorization to release information, you can on on their behalf reach out to the Department of Veteran Affairs to see about their eligibility. Gotcha. Yep. And then there's all these quirks that you're going to have to learn. Like you're going to have to learn how do I calculate residual income? Because you don't need to calculate residual income for an FHA loan or a conventional loan but you need to for a VA loan. It doesn't matter how great your DTI is. If you don't have the required uh, residual income, you're not going to, you're not going to qualify for a VA loan. And the best way to know is like, Oh, last week I had veteran a that did qualify. And now I have veteran B who doesn't. So it's just experience at bats, as you would say. Yes. Um, well, unfortunately the way you're going to learn residual income is, is the hard way. Okay. If you don't try to learn it and figure it out up front, one day you're going to originate a loan that's a cupcake. A cupcake is something that has great credit, great job history, and you're like, oh, this is a slam dunk. And then it goes off to underwriting after you waited three weeks for your VA appraisal to come back and uh, underwriter denies it. And you need to call this veteran that you've built this relationship with and his realtor and the seller and the seller's realtor and say, hey, I screwed up because I don't know a thing about residual income. I didn't calculate it up front. And this client, this borrower does not have the minimum requirement, the minimum required residual income. Damn. Like these are things that you have to know as a loan originator. Um, and then another popular loan program, just because we're talking about the A's, sure. would be a USDA loan. I've heard of those. United States Department of Agriculture. It's another A loan. Yep. So what have you learned about A loans? They're a only for what type of properties? Uh, Maine, like your, like ones you live in. Yeah, primary homes. Primary homes. They're only for your primary home. But a, a USDA loan is offered to us through the United States Department of Agriculture. It allows for 100% financing. Yes. As long as you're buying in an area that is still deemed rural. Okay. So you'd have to go to USDA's website. And if you Googled USDA eligibility map, I'm pretty sure the second or third thing you would find okay. uh, would be the link that you needed. You also have to, um, uh, there's certain income restrictions, meaning if you make too much money, mm -hmm. you're not eligible. And there's also an asset requirement. A USDA loan is built for people with limited to no assets. So if you have a bunch of money in the bank, mm -hmm. then you're not going to qualify for this loan because it's going to be deemed by the United States Department of Agriculture, by the USDA in rural housing, their loan program, that you should look at other financing like a conventional loan if you actually have money to put down. Interesting. Yeah, this loan program is for people who have limited funds for down payment and are buying in rural areas, and they have a household income 
under whatever the threshold is for your geographic region. Okay. But it's just something to, to know. Um, so we talked about LTV. We talked about DTI. Yeah. Here's something I teach to all rookie loan officers in my loan officer training basic 101 class. Let's get it. The acronym PAIL, P-A-I-L. So imagine you have an 8 by 11 sheet of paper, mm -hmm. right? You would write on the top left-hand corner P, mm -hmm. a big P, like a three-inch P. Mm -hmm. And then underneath it, an A, yeah. underneath the A, an I, then an L. Yeah. So down the left margin of your paper, P-A-I-L. Yes. Whenever you are talking to a prospective borrower... Think in the acronym PALE. Okay. The first thing you want to talk to them about is the property. You need to know, are they buying a primary home, a second home, or an investment property? Is it a condo, a townhome, a duplex, or a triplex, or a single-family home? Who is the seller? Is it a property flip? Because that's going to matter. For certain loan programs, when you're trying to buy a home that's being flipped, which, write this one down, ladies and gentlemen, open door. Open door is out there. They're I buyers, right? There's several I buyers, but Open door is one of them. Okay. And they're buying homes and they're turning around and reselling them. Mm -hmm. Well, you have to know if you're a really good loan officer, you have to know does the loan program I'm qualifying my borrower for have restrictions on when we, on financing property flips? Hmm. A property flip is typically something that has only um, been owned by the current seller for less than 90 days. Gotcha. FHA has property flip rules, FYI. Hmm. All right, so um, the P stands for property. You want to find out as much detail regarding the property. Okay. A stands for assets. When you're talking to your borrower, when you're structuring financing, mm -hmm. when you're pre-approving, when you're, you're trying to help them figure out, do they go FHA or conventional? What do you know about their assets? Well, how much money does your borrower have access to, and then where is it coming from? Because your borrower could be getting money from gift funds, mm -hmm. from family, most loan programs, that's okay. Ooh, except for if you're financing an investment property, then gift funds are no bueno. Hmm. You have to know this. You only know this typically by having at-bats and going off and doing the research and then coming back with the answer. And I do want to finish that way because I want to finish with maybe proper ways to speak to clients okay. when you don't know what you're doing. Okay, we'll circle back. All right, but right now let's get through pale. So on, on the assets, you want to you know not only how much do they have access to, but where it's coming from. Is it a, a loan from the 401k? Is it checking and savings? Are they selling something like a boat to raise capital? Hmm. Because any time that someone's selling a tangible asset, you're going to have to document and paper trail that. Right? We need to stay away from large deposits. Certain loan programs allow for gift funds. Certain loan programs don't allow for gift funds. Certain loan, pro loan programs would mandate that you liquidate certain assets to qualify. Other loan programs, like, no, just prove that you have them. But most importantly, when you're talking to your client, you want to know how much money they have access to, where is that money coming from, mm -hmm. and then of that money, how much do they actually want to allocate towards the transaction? Because that's a differentiating factor between a order-taking loan officer and an advice-giving loan officer. Ideally, you want to be a loan officer who gives advice. You want to be a loan officer who tailor-makes financing that, that matches your client's financial needs, wants, and goals. Hmm. So it's not just, hey, John, how much money do you have in your checking and savings account? It's, hey, John, how much money do you have in your checking and savings account? And then of that money, how much have you earmarked 
to go towards this transaction. That's such a simple thought. But every time, even now, I was just thinking like, yeah, how much money do you have? People just give you like the whole round amount. But you're not going to go out and like empty your bank account to zero. Well, you shouldn't. I mean, you shouldn't. You should not. No, no. And that's so you want to find out. But where is the money? Where is it coming from? Yeah. Yeah. If you tell me you have 10 grand, that's not enough. Well, okay, great. I think it's awesome. You have 10 grand, John. But where is that money? Oh, right? yeah. Is it is it coming from your IRS refund that you're going to get in February? Cool. Is it coming from your mom and dad? Cool. Did you go do a credit card advance? Not cool. Damn. Right? That's so all, yeah. these are things that we have to know as a loan officer. So next in the acronym is I, income. Okay. Hey, John, how much do you make? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I like that. Here's what I need to know with your income. I need to know how long have you been with your employer for? How do they pay you? Are you hourly or salary? Are you do, is any part of your income commissioned? Is any part of your uh, income bonused? Um, is any part of your income overtime? Are you self-employed? That's such a better way to say that. How much do you make? That's, I mean. No. Oh, I like to ask, what do you do for a living? Yeah, like, honestly, when, when I'm getting into the I, by the way, I still use pale when I talk to people. I still want to know, tell me something about the property you want to buy. Hey, tell me something about your assets. Tell me something about your income. Who do you work for? How long you been there? I'm even throwing, how do you like that job? Yeah. Why? Because I'm trying to get to know you. But as an originator and a rookie loan officer, you use the PALE acronym to keep yourself organized, to keep your thoughts organized, to make sure you're asking all the right questions. So it's not just about what type of home do you want to buy? Oh, I'm a single family home. Okay. Next question in that same category. Is that that home going to be used as your primary residence? Mm Mm-hmm. Or are you going to rent it out full-time, or is it a vacation home? But just by you asking those questions, just for me, it makes you seem more knowledgeable rather than just like, all right, next, next, next. It seems like you're asking questions to get to know me, but also because it sounds like you know what you're doing. Well, and I, but I have to, I have to know all this information to do the best job for you, to do the best job for my employer, to do the best job for me. Yeah. Because ultimately, as a loan officer, I'm going to be reliant on you, my client, to refer me in the future. Mm. You'll only do that if I do an exceptional job for you. And if I ask for the referrals, <laughs> we'll learn that when we talk, start talking about uh, sales tactics. Okay. But no, when I'm on the I portion of, of, of income, mm-hmm. I want to know how you're paid. And um, I want to know how long you've been paid that way. So right? all, all if, that matters. So All that matters. Yes. Loan officers listening. Someone tells you, oh, I had this awesome job yeah. and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a hundred grand. Okay. You're going to make a hundred grand or you do make a hundred grand because that's, you have to listen. Right. There's there's the the question behind the question. Mm. And you have to be able to listen to to your borrower, slow them down and like, yeah, well, you know, I just uh, I, I just got this job and I got promoted. And, and yep. now, now I'm 100 percent commission. And the guy who does this, uh, who, who I share a, an office with, he made 110 grand last year. So I'm 110. Yeah, I'm making. Yeah. OK, well, here's what I hear as an experienced loan officer. Oh, crap. You're newly 100% commission. I know I need two years history of you being 100% commission. So you two yeah, years. Yeah, like I'm going to ask you, well, John, is any part of that guaranteed? Well, I get a base of 30000 Okay, that's guaranteed? Yes. Then that's, then that's what I can use. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, I, this awesome business idea. I quit. My boss was such an SOB. I quit and started my own company. I'm going to make three times as much money. Nice. All right. How long have you your company for? Since November. Oh, oh wah, 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 wah. yeah. So I think it's it's asking those questions and loan officers when you're new and you're filling out your pale, 
ask as many questions. Get as much detail as you yeah. can because what you're trying to do, honestly, is you're poking holes into the approvability, yeah. and then you're trying to patch every single hole along the way. If you can do that, what you're doing is you're structuring up financing that when you turn it into your underwriter, it it's going to get approved. No questions asked. Let me finish up on liabilities. Got some thoughts on, on even the underwriter aspect. L stands for liabilities. Okay. okay. It is not just your credit score. Period. End of story. You have an 800 credit score. Cool story, bro. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at your credit report. You have a credit card you've had for three months. You've had a student loan that you haven't made a payment on ever. Mm. And your only other uh, piece of credit is an authorized user, Amex, that was opened in 1983, but you were born in 1989. Yeah, but... uh... Yeah. Okay, you have an 800 credit score, but you don't have much of a body. You don't have much body to your your credit. Mm. Same thing goes for the 680 credit score. 680 credit score, you've never missed a payment ever. You've had credit for 30 years. The reason why you're 680, I see, is because you have some maxed out Target cards, Home Depot cards, things that if you knew better, you wouldn't have these things maxed out. Hmm. But they offered you 10% or 20% off in order to open a store card. Uh, you love a good deal. Uh, so, yeah. So, you, man, you have it to TJ Maxx. You have it at Home oh, Depot, yeah. to Lowe's, to Target, to Walmart. Yeah. You have five cards, all of which have a $300 maximum, and they're Gee, all maxed out. What? Yeah, so now your credit score dropped from a 760 to a 680, but you are a much more solid borrower oh my God. than the person with an 800. Okay, so when I'm talking to you, I'm a loan officer. I don't want to just know your credit score, John. I want to know your credit history. What are your monthly obligations? Are you obligated to pay alimony or child support? If so, how much? If so, for how long? Um, I want to know... Not necessarily what you owe in your credit card. What's your minimum payment? And worse, if you have student loans, deep breath. Do your, are your student loans going to show up on your credit report as a zero payment, as a $1 payment? Are they deferred? If so, does the loan program that I'm going to originate for you allow me to originate a loan when you have student loans in deferral? Or do I have to count a payment against them? What if you're on an income-based repayment on that student loan? Which loan program allows me to utilize the income-based repayment? Which one doesn't? If it shows zero, do I count 1%, half a percent, or 2% of your balance as a payment? Hmm. What about that Amex that shows up on your credit report as a zero monthly payment? Hey, John, do you pay your Amex off every single month, or do they allow you to pay it monthly? Because American Express, some American Express are old school. You pay them off every single month. So American Express, no, they'll allow you to make a payment. If so, what is it? Is it 3%, 5%, 1%? So... The liability, have you had any foreclosures, any bankruptcies? Like, you need to ask those questions. The child support one. I mean, I can tell you so many horror stories based on my own experience where I didn't ask a 23-year-old married with two kids borrower if he paid child support. Because common sense told me at 23, he's married with two kids. No way he was. There's no way. Yes. He had a baby at 15. And in those scenarios, do you have to like go back and be like, hey, like, yeah, hey, I effed up. Hey, I didn't ask you all the right questions. What do you mean? I thought we were clear to close, but yeah, sorry. If I can just get this one more thing, if you could do this, and that's yeah, how- and, and it usually happens when, um, I don't know, I didn't get all your documents up front. Maybe you had to have trouble getting me your pay stub. And when I finally got your pay stub, I see that your wages are being garnished for something like child support or alimony. And I just assumed. There's no way a, tw- a married 23-year-old with two kids would have 
child support. That's dangerous. That A word assumed. Yeah. I even know that. Yep. That was $115 a month. What do you think that did to his DTI? It threw it out of whack? Yeah. It increased his DTI. Now all of a sudden he doesn't qualify for the loan that I had him qualified to, to do. But you know it was a mistake and you remember and you learn from it. Yes. And as a loan officer, you're going to make these mistakes. It's a race to go out and make mistakes. But let's talk about how do we avoid yeah. these mistakes. Let's do it. Okay. You are going to be, you've entered this career. You've made this decision. You are going to dedicate the next two to five years to being the best student you can be. Your goal is to be smarter than your underwriter, to be more experienced than your underwriter, to be a better researcher than your underwriter. But keep in mind, your underwriter is your friend mm -hmm. and your underwriter very well could be the person that helps you become as smart as them. Mm -hmm. Let them know that's your goal. Ask a ton of questions. Learn how to research, learn how to look up programs and products and guidelines, right? And then when they're clear as mud, which many are, mm -hmm. many yeah. program, <laughs> yeah, when you're reading through that 200-page that document, if A is X, then X is 3, and go to page 72, <laughs> hey, when in doubt, ask someone in your office, ask an underwriter, ask an account executive. But your goal is to understand these programs and products like the back of your hand. Okay, you should know them. For example, if you got a phone call on a weekend from a referral source and they said, hey, I'm writing a contract, what's the maximum the seller can contribute towards the buyer's closing cost? You better not just spit out an answer. You better know how to say, um, well, Mrs. Realtor, are they going to buy this home as a primary or as an investment property? Because there's a difference. Hmm. If it's an investment property, as a loan officer, you have to know the maximum seller contributions is 2%. If it's a primary home, well, it depends on the loan to value. Hmm. Could be 3%, could be 6%, could be 9%. Hmm. Right, but, but you have to know that. You have to go out and do the research. You have to learn the programs and the products. How you learn programs and products, I'm going to circle back to what we kicked off with. Xenix, mm -hmm. MBA.org, your account executives, your MI reps, YouTube. Mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's a lot of places out there. Now, the problem is there's also a lot of misinformation. And the misinformation isn't done on purpose. The misinformation is because there's what are called credit overlays. Just because... FHA says the maximum debt-to-income ratio is 43. Doesn't mean that they won't purchase a loan at a 56.99 as long as I have a DU accept. Hmm. But just because I have a DU accept at a 56.99 doesn't mean I can deliver that loan to investor X, Y, or Z. Maybe PennyMac, my end investor, won't purchase anything under 50. This is where it gets confusing. This is where only experience would come into play. Yeah. Because I, I read this mm -hmm. in the textbook, quote unquote. Yeah. I've done why in real life. Yeah. But now I'm learning only certain investors can I deliver that loan to. Yeah. Or how about this? I work for a bank and my bank won't do debt to income ratios over 50. Please know that does not mean the mortgage industry won't do debt-to-income ratios under over 50. It just means your bank has a credit overlay. That could be confusing mm. for a rookie loan officer going out speaking to the public. Do you want to be that guy or girl who tells the client, well, you can't do that? 
your DTI is over 50. And then just go to someone else and be like, actually. And then when they go to someone else, you have egg on your face. Yep. That's where you have to understand that you don't know anything. Even when you think you know something, that's when you become dangerous to yourself and you still don't know anything. There was one thing you wanted to circle back on and it was like, so say it's all this, I'm new to the industry. What do you say to those people who might not know like what to say, but they don't want to necessarily lose that relationship or that client? Yes. There, you have to find your own way of saying something along the lines of, John, here's how this process is going to work. I'm going to go ahead and take down all your information. I'm going to ask you as many questions as I can to get a great idea of what it is that you're trying to accomplish with this purchase or with this refinance. Um, I want to learn about your property or the property you're looking to buy, your assets, um, not just how much money you have, but where that money currently is. And then how much money you want to use or allocate to go towards a transaction. Mm-hmm. I need to find out about your income and not just how much money you make, but how, how you make it, how long you've been making it, who you work for, what you do. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to get an idea of what your liabilities are. And by liabilities, John, I'm talking about not just your credit score, but also your credit history, right? What are your monthly uh, payments? Mm-hmm. And then how, does your, how do your liabilities stack up to your monthly income? Mm-hmm. And then how provable is that income? So... Once I'm done gathering all that information, what I'm then going to need to do is go out and research some of the best loan programs and products based on your specifications, what you're looking to accomplish, and more importantly, what you qualify for. Okay, what I just said in a very eloquent way was, hey, John, I'm brand freaking new at this. I'm going to ask you as many questions as I can remember, and then because I have no idea what I'm doing, I'm going to go and find my mentor or research for the next two hours to put together the best solution for what you're trying to accomplish. Sounds good. Right. But there's nothing wrong with that. Like ladies and gentlemen, understand that your borrower doesn't do this for a living. No. Like once you've been in this industry for 30, 60, 90 days, especially if you've passed Xenix's ground school, Mm. especially if you've taken three or four of the free courses offered to the mortgage bankers association, by the way, they're free if your company is a member of the MBA. Mm. Um, and there's also the, um, uh, the, the Mortgage Brokers, the National Association of Mortgage Professionals is, is another association. There's, you know, MBA is one of my favorite mm-hmm. um, uh, professional organizations, but there is a, a professional organization for mortgage brokers versus mortgage bankers. Okay. Uh, the two do very similar things. Um, and just because you're a member of one does not mean you can't be a member of the other and vice versa. Just understand that. Good enough. But you know, understand that if you've taken these courses, once you've been at your job for 90 days and you've taken these courses, you already know more than like 98% of the American populace. Yeah. Right? You just do. Um, but you need to be able to find a way to, to, to tell people, I use this. And by the way, my business partner, David Holbrook, still ridicules me for it. Um, but I mean, I used to sit in a work, uh, in a cube, they call them workstations oh, it's now. A cube, yeah. It's it's a cube. Um, but I used to sit in a workstation and, and I shared one, uh, ne- next to me was David. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was infamous for saying something along the lines of, well, you know, John, the guidelines on that recently changed <laughs> and let me go back and reread that email. I got a couple of days ago, a couple hours ago, a couple weeks ago, wherever the case was. Yeah. And let me get back to you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because the consumer doesn't know. They don't know the way the process goes. So if you tell the consumer, I'm going to collect all this information from you, then I'm going to do a couple hours of research, and then I'm going to come back to you, great. That may be what you have to do for those first six, nine, or 18 months. Whereas someone like myself or some of the guests we've had on this show, 
uh, people like Julia Bell, people like John Croak, right? People like Barry Botwin or Eric Cotter. No, they do all this in their head. Yeah, that's right. It's just boom, 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 boom. Why? Because they have years of experience. They have thousands, right? I said it takes five hundred yeah. to two hundred. I yeah. mean, to get to an expert level. Thousands. Yeah, imagine when you get to a thousand, where you where you are, right? That's like warp warp speed expert. Um, but your consumer doesn't need to know that. They don't need to. The, 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 if you tell them so much has changed in this industry just in the past year because of COVID, oh, okay, yeah. let me get your information and get back to you. Yeah. Okay. In the meantime, why don't you start gathering these documents? Why don't you give your consumer something to do while you go do something? Mm. Hey, I'm going to take the information I gathered from our initial consultation, and I'm going to go start doing some research. In the meantime, will you please send me your pay stubs, your W-2s, your tax returns, oh, yeah. your divorce decree, right? whatever it is that, that you need. And then understand that you're only going to collect yeah. probably half yeah, yeah. of what is really needed. Two out of the five that yeah, I asked and then, for. And then you're going to have to find creative ways to call someone and be like, oh, man. Hey, you know, I don't know what I was thinking. I, I, I totally I, I, forgot to ask you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll, guess what? We're humans. That happens all the time. Like, how many times does... I'll talk about my wife here. Yeah. Does my wife write a grocery list, run off to Publix, and then, and then she calls me, hey... Can you... Can you send a picture? Yeah, I forgot what was... Yeah. Do we need... Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? That happens. That's life. Mm-hmm. So it's no big deal for you to have to call your borrower and say, you know, I totally forgot... Are you buying this home as a primary yeah, or an investment? Yeah, yeah. I mean, those those are questions that you have to ask. But you have to get general basic product knowledge. You just do. And you're only going to do so. Just like my 15 now, soon to be 16-year-old son is only going to get better by first driving with his mom and his dad in the neighborhood. And then we went to the to the mall parking lot. And then, mm-hmm. then eventually we moved it on to... Uh, the the city streets, and mm-hmm. then finally I had him drive us halfway to Atlanta. Like mm-hmm. all true stories, yeah, yeah. same thing's going to correlate into your LO business. By the way, we still are going to go ahead and get my my son some driving lessons. Still? Still. Yeah, he's been driving for 10 months. We decided, you know what? He needs to hear and learn from someone not called mom and dad. Right. I know. And he's at a point now where it's time to learn how to parallel park. It's time to learn how to do a, a really badass three-point turn. It's time to learn how to park on an angle. Mm. I'd rather someone other than me teach him that. Right? There's, there's something in education that uh, we deem as academic inbreeding. Mm-hmm. Right? It's when you're constantly going to the same source to, to, to be taught. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's, let's prevent academic inbreeding. inbreeding. Same thing is going to go to your loan officer career. If you start with Xenix... Great. Maybe then you look for some advanced training through a different organization, through your MI rep, right? Because you right now need to learn conventional Fannie Freddie. You need to learn FHA. You need to learn VA. You got to know those. You got to know LTV. You got to know DTI. You have to know how to read a credit report. You have to learn how to look for the basics on an appraisal. You don't need to learn how to be an appraiser. But you need to know the basics. Mm. And there are a lot of free or inexpensive ways of doing so if you didn't want to drop the money on something like Xenix. But you're a loan officer. you got to do that. you got to become. And, and where do you go? I mean, I, I gave you half a dozen different avenues. Well, it seems like to. if you stumble upon this, this will be a great starting point. Yeah, this is a great starting point. But, I mean, I don't have, and this show doesn't have, the 120 hours necessary to just teach you the basics. Yet. Yet. No, and here's something that I thought about, JC, and, and, and I, think, um, uh, I think we're going to do this. Yeah. We are going to do a show where we're going to bring on someone who their specialty 
is that freaking exam. Okay. I'm going to interview him. I'm going to ask him questions. I'm going to ask him for tips, tricks, hacks, etc. Yeah. We then are going to bring someone on who is an expert in teaching loan officers how to build their brand, mm. how to actually get out and procure the leads, because that's what you need to get better. You need at-bats and opportunities. Right. And then finally, we'll have someone other than me come on and be that technician guru, that program product. It may be an underwriter. Like I may reach out to our head underwriter here at Waterstone Mortgage and see if I can get her to sit down with us. And she can answer questions on best practices for loan officers on how do you get your underwriter to like you? How do you get your underwriter to work with you? I mean, here at Waterstone Mortgage, our underwriters have this philosophy, find a way to yes. Yeah, that's true. Right? We, we talk about that all the time. You need to have a relationship with your underwriters that they are working with you to find a way to yes, and you need to be able to research guidelines and programs and obtain the knowledge base as well, if not better than your underwriters do. But know this, and I'm going to leave, leave everyone on this tip. Please. Please do not go out and try to memorize the FHA handbook, the VA guides, the Fannie Freddie guides. Because my fear is if you did that, you wouldn't be doing the most important thing, which is going out and and creating a name for yourself in your local market and procuring leads. Mm. Plus, if you learned how to structure financing for someone looking to buy a quadruplex as an investment property. Yeah. You may very well forget those guides when you finally, the once or twice yeah, in right. your career yeah. that you have that opportunity, yeah. or the guidelines would have changed. Right. You need to know the basics, but then you need at-bats. At-bats is when you're going to truly learn. You're going to learn by doing. So get out there and learn the basics, and then get out there and get doing. 20, 50, 100, 200, it's a race. Mm. And look, if you have questions... Reach out to us. Yes. Reach out to us. We love answering your questions. YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Yep. At the Loan Officer Podcast. Yep. Call me, 407-645-6363. People have done it. People have done it. I have not turned down a phone call yet. Yep. But that's all we have. This is our version of an episode on Loan Officer Training. He's John Coleman. I'm Dustin Owen. This is the Loan Officer Podcast. If you like what you are hearing and seeing, please share us, give us a review, and like us. Until then, we'll see you on the flip side. Deuces. Peace.